0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast. Introducing your host from New York, here is Sam Roberts.
1: Welcome. Welcome, everybody. Welcome back to Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast. It's going to be another good episode. I promise you that. I hope you're all subscribed on iTunes. I hope everybody listening has gone on to iTunes to leave a review, leave a comment, do the whole deal, because it really helps the podcast. And I want to be able to keep bringing you a ton, a ton of free content every single week, as I do here on Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast. There's so much cool wrestling to talk about. I mean, just WWE alone. Just WWE alone this week. Three days. Three days. There's so much to talk about. From TLC to Raw to SmackDown. Uh, I don't even know where to begin. Rumors are abound. Maybe some of them will be addressed today on the podcast. Uh, a new NXT champion. We got a lot. You got to be kidding me, Lila. All day she hasn't touched the squeaky toy. She knows. She does it on purpose. We got a lot to talk about today, is the point. Um. But we're going to start with the interview, as always, uh, and it's a special one for me anyway. I got the opportunity, so Hillbilly Jim, to me, the more you think about it, the more is a pretty big icon of uh, a pretty important era of WWE, and it's the era that kind of brought everybody in my generation into the fold. It's, it's the era of, this is, he is a big star of the era that defined what, sports entertainment, pro wrestling was when we were born, when we were kids. You know, this is the era that we looked at. So, like, people my age sort of started to come around. Maybe you remember the mega powers exploding, you know, and and after. You go, like, the Hogan, macho, warrior era was what brought a lot of us in my generation in and as soon as soon as we were old enough to read a word, I was anyway, the only thing I would read were wrestling magazines. But it used to drive my mom crazy. I would never read a book for school. I would just read wrestling magazines and just start to learn wrestling history. And we all know about WrestleMania six, VI, WrestleMania seven, but WrestleMania One, WrestleMania Two, II, WrestleMania Three, that era. And this week, my guest is a pretty important member of that era, the first era of what we now know as WWE, WWF, the global entertainment juggernaut, Hulkamania. Hulk Hogan is not my guest, though. This week, my guest is his best friend, Hillbilly Jim. Hillbilly Jim, he does a XM show. Out of Nashville, so I've never met the guy. I met him. I think I met him in an autograph signing when I was younger, Um, but I've never actually spent any time. I've never spoken to Hillbilly Jim at any kind of length. But one of the guys who programs Outlaw Country on SiriusXM here in New York came up to me, knew about the wrestling podcast, obviously. Good news travels quickly, and asked me like, "Oh, did you ever have Hillbilly on the show?" And I was like, "No," and and I couldn't believe that after working at SiriusXM for as long as I'd worked there I had never spoken to Hillbilly Jim so he quickly set it up and I got on the phone with Hillbilly Jim to talk about and and you'll see in this interview um look Hillbilly's he's a talker he's a talker he jumps around a little bit and he he veers off of wrestling a little bit as we talk but so many cool stories about uh, starting out, about first getting to WWE, about Hogan, about Andre, a ton of great Andre stories in this interview, um, about his whole philosophy behind everything. I mean, this is a guy who really he didn't never held a title, never wrestled in a big pay-per-view main event. Most famous match is probably the WrestleMania six man with King Kong Bundy and the four midgets. Or little people. They were midgets at the time. That's why you can say that. So, but, he is one of the names that everybody remembers. He's one of the good guys that everybody remembers. And who didn't? If you had LJNs growing up, if you had the big rubber WWF figures, and most of us did, you had a Hillbilly Jim. Nobody didn't have a Hillbilly Jim. He was just a character that resonated with, more than most that I can think of. And so, I wanted to make sure that I had the opportunity to get him on the podcast. When it was presented to me, I took advantage of that opportunity and I present it to you today. Ladies and gentlemen, for the first time on Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast, the interview this week is Hill Billy Jim. And now, the Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast interview. So, I've worked at SiriusXM for a few years now, and I cannot believe that this is the first time that I'm getting to speak to my coworker, worker Hillbilly Jim. Welcome to the show.
2: Hey, thank you, brother, and Merry Christmas to you and all
0: your uh, listeners out there. I hope you're having a good holiday season, and it's my pleasure to be with you today.
1: Yeah, well, Merry Christmas to you, too. I was thinking about you today, and and I kind of looked up because I couldn't remember exactly how long the wrestling career of hillbilly jim was the in-ring part of the career because you know like you're one of the characters that everybody remembers and i almost feel like when we think back on like watching his kids you were just there forever but the in-ring career of hillbilly jim was only about five years is that right
0: well actually no it was a little bit longer i had about a 10-year career But but uh, but I I did about I did I started in about 1980 late 83 early 84 and I finished up uh, at the WWE in about 1990 91 because I had a neck surgery I wanted to get fixed and uh, and also I had a certain time in my life age wise brother when I wanted to get out of there and I got to tell you I went and had this neck neck fixed and I had a I had two procedures I could do I had one that would have enabled me to go back and wrestle again. And then I had one I could do that would be fine, but it wouldn't—it wasn't quite as extensive. And I weighed my—I weighed my odds, and I said, you know what? I think it's about time for me to pack it in. But you know, I had been wrestling a few years before I got into the WWF. And uh, because I broke in down here in Kentucky, and then I went out to Calgary, Canada, and wrestled for the late, great Stu Hart and the Hart family out there for Stampede Wrestling. And then for a brief time, I was in Memphis, Tennessee, and AWA wrestling for Jerry Lawler and Jeff and Jerry Jarrett, rather. And my character at that time was, uh, was something that never got any real national claim. It was a big name, but it was Harley Davidson. Uh-huh. So I did about I did about about ten years, and I had a certain age. As I told you, I wanted to get out, and luckily, I got out right about the same time that injury occurred, and because you know. You know, you know, but I I, had, I sustained a real bad knee injury February the twenty fifth, nineteen eighty five, at San Diego, California, when I was working a match with Hulk Hogan, and he and I were working uh, uh, Johnny Valley and Bruce Beefcake at San Diego Sports Arena, and I got a horrendous knee injury, my right knee, and that put me on the shelf for a while. That that was the thing that brought in those uh, other hillbilly guys like Uncle Almer and Cousin Junior and Cousin Lucas and so forth, but. I got to thinking, you know, I got two knees, and I pretty much got over that, uh, thank God, and was able to have a career, but you ain't got but one neck. Right. And I've seen, I've seen guys fooling around with those necks, and man, that scared the bejesus out of me. And, uh, and I just said, you know what? Uh, I was, to be honest with you, I love the business. I'm blessed. Like, I'm blessed to be here today talking to you. I'm blessed to be doing almost 12 years of serious XCOM radio, but I'm going to tell you. That is as important as your life after your business, whatever it is, especially sports. It's a a window of opportunity, brother. You step in, and it closes pretty soon. And I knew there was going to be a life, hopefully, after this business, because to be honest with you, I was looking for something to do when I got into the wrestling business. And I'm the kind of guy that jumps on lily pads. I'm sure you know what I mean. I like to have something new before I leave anything old. And uh, that's kind of what I—that's kind of my way of thinking. And, and you know, as it's turned out, brother, you know the deal. I've done a lot of things, and I'm sure I don't want to—I want let you talk a little bit. But uh, but I did a lot of things around the business.
1: Oh, yeah.
2: after
0: being in being
1: ring. So oh yeah, you. yeah. And we'll talk about all that. So, but when you get that knee injury, right in February of '85, that's what a month and a half, maybe two months before WrestleMania yeah. One. Is that? Yeah, th- that
0: kept. That kept me from doing the first WrestleMania.
1: Yeah, when you see what a big deal WrestleMania was, is, was that one of the more difficult things to go through, being injured while that massive show is going on?
0: Well, well, here's the deal. As you remember, that was the first WrestleMania in Madison Square Garden. That's when we had Mr. T there with Piper and the whole 10 yards. And we had, uh, I think, a Liberace, Muhammad Ali was there. You see, it was a new concept, this new thing they were talking about called WrestleMania. Now we weren't really sure the boys that worked for the company, the WWF at that time, we weren't really sure how this was gonna pan out, if this was gonna be a one time flash in the pan thing or something. We didn't know it was gonna we didn't know it was gonna have this thirty five almost forty year run. Uh so yeah, it was disappointing to me, but I at that time didn't know how long and how successful this brand was gonna be, or it would have been more disappointing to me. <laughs> right. <laughs> but but, but yeah, so, so so you know, and I had the, I had that injury and I missed it, but I, but 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 I made the next ones, you know, several of the next ones, two, three, four, five, and six, seven. I did I did six or seven or eight of those in my lifetime, and and luckily I was on the largest one that we ever had, the one that at the time broke the world's record, which was the Pontiac Silverdome, which had almost you know ninety three, ninety four thousand people indoor. Now they got more people for that this last year when we were down in Dallas. But it did not break a world record. The one that we broke in in 1987 was a world record, which stood for many, many, many years until the great country music singer, the king himself, George Strait, broke it at that very same venue in Dallas. But uh, so really, those guys, they wrestled on the biggest crowd that had ever been in in, in the WWE or WWF, But it was not a world record.
1: Yeah, is that... To you, does your WrestleMania three match stick out to you? I feel like that's the most famous hillbilly gym match, probably. That was the the six man mixed tag with the midgets and King Kong Bundy.
0: Well, that was one that most people talk about. I mean, I mean, it's turned out to be a, uh, one that gets uh, gets more people into it. But I don't really, I didn't really, I didn't really think of it that much at that time. Except for the thing that got me started was the crowd. Right. I mean, that crowd was enormous. Now. Now, actually, if you ask about high marks for me or watermarks for me, the first time I stepped in the ring in Madison Square Garden, that was a big deal for me.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Okay, uh, the first time, uh, uh, the, 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 first, the first WrestleMania I got to be on, which was WrestleMania two, was a big deal for me. Uh, uh, being able to do the uh, Rock and Wrestling cartoon show, that was a big deal for me. Uh, having the first merchandising things like right, you know where they make the action figures and the things because the WWF at that time was was way ahead of the game on creating merchandise. They were they were really uh, pioneers in pay per views and stuff like that. So those things. But as the years has gone by, my friend, more people have asked me about that WrestleMania match <laughs> with me and King Kong Bundy. And King Kong Bundy actually hated. He thought the match was the crap. It's the shit. He says what he says. <laughs> you know that's what Chris says today about it. If you ask him. But 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 it just I says you know what man you just can't you just can't tell what's gonna get over with the people sometimes things that resonate with you don't resonate with them and I, and my friend and Hall of Famer buddy of mine Jimmy Hart I can't take credit for this but I've used this slogan a lot he said this about about as eloquent as anybody could say it and you lured to it earlier when we, when we first began. The guys that were there in those '80s for the first WrestleManias, for the first uh, in, uh, NBC uh, Saturday Night's Main Events, the guys that were there for the first merchandising, the Rock and Wrestling connection, somehow, or another, brother, we got woven into the fabric of American society, and we remain there.
1: Yeah, I mean it's 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 amazing, and I I I was thinking about that too. I'm glad you brought up the merchandise because I think one of the reasons why you, Billy Jim is one of the characters that everybody remembers when they talk about classic wrestling, is because everybody grew up with those wrestling toys, and the LJN okay. ones, the, the big rubber ones, and you go... And
0: I tell the guys, the guys will always call them, I got your wrestling dollar, here's here's my thing, I get it, I say, no, 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 to the men it's not a dollar, it's an action figure, <laughs> to the women it's a dollar.
2: <laughs> right. <laughs> right, right, it depends on your perspective,
1: but... That was my, yeah. You go. You go into. You go into any anyone's house. Anyone who's a grown up now, who grew up with these things, and the two toys that everybody had, whether they had a big collection or a small collection, they had three of them: Hulk Hogan, Iron Sheik, Hillbilly and Jim. Hillbilly Jim. <laughs> they they did such a good job of getting that Hillbilly Jim toy everywhere.
0: I gotta tell you, I gotta tell you, man, when you're
2: immortalized in latex. You're over, brother. But
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, 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 you know, it's just like you say. It's just like you say. I mean, I, I'm telling you, it captivated America because there has been legions and legions of wrestlers—good ones, great ones, in between ones—that came along for us in the business, and not only in, in our business, but uh, the WWE business, but uh, the other wrestling companies too. But people have done came and forgot them. But yeah. us that were there in the early eighties, I'm talking about. Let me just tell you, you are talking about Junkyard Dog. Mm-hmm. We're talking about the Iron Sheet, Nikolai Volkov. We're talking about Hulk Hogan, Rowdy Roddy Piper. We're talking about we're talking about Andre the Giant. You know, we're talking about George the Animal Steel. All the guys that come up in that in that in that day, it, it, it somehow, or another, we got woven into the fabric of America's thinking and society. And you know what? We remain there. It absolutely used to absolutely blow my mind because I'm going to tell you, and I'm not going to to embellish this one bit. I felt like when I left my home down here in Kentucky and went to the airport and flew to whatever shows I was going to go to and whether I was on the tour or not, it didn't matter where I went. I was at home because people would openly, openly invite me, if needed be, into their homes to spend the night have a meal to take me anywhere if i need it, it was a, it was an amazing amount of warmth and love that i got to tell you it's pretty much sustained to even today maybe not to that magnitude but the people as you said a while ago that grew up remembering us when they when they have a hillbilly Jim sighting or a, or god bless me it was a roddy Piper sighting or any of us guys that was in that legends house if they have one of those it freaks them out and, and you know what? That is that is the most complimentary thing. I could think of to happen that people remember you because you got to remember that was a short window of time when you was truly here, hillbilly Jim was in there. Yeah, but I got a you, I got a maximum bite of the apple at that time, and <laughs> it's led me and parlayed me through so many things. I'm telling you, I was able to get a job at Coliseum Home Video selling. Uh, I was the director of sales for North America for Coliseum Video uh, Home Video that uh, did, did all the tapes out of New York. I had an office in New York for a short time. I had an office in Connecticut. Uh, you know when they took it in. I was able able to go back and do TV commentary. I was able to go back and manage guys. I was able to do all sorts of things around there. I'm still, if I want to, I don't do that many of them, but they, they, they call me all the time and want me to go out and do autograph sessions primarily whether they're on the east coast, because that seems to be where the, uh, the, 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 the brunt of the uh, wrestling fans are or the wrestling shows. But I, I'm careful I don't go too much, because I don't want to go too often, because when people see you too much, it means nothing to them. But I go out, if I go out four, five, six, seven times a year, and I could probably go out a time or two a month easily if I really wanted to, if I worked it and do autograph shows and maybe do some of the small independent wrestling shows where maybe I get up in the ring and manage somebody, or maybe I just go to the ring and say hello to the crowd crowd autographs but i am still able to get out and do that even to this day my friend it's and insane. you tell me for the short amount of time by the way we're talking about you, you just mentioned earlier uh, uh, we're brothers in crime here at SiriusXM xm radio yeah i have been working on the hillbilly jim moonshine matinee at outlaw country 60 i'm going into my 12th year brother man now you think about that so listen when I hear these politicians say, hey, let's make America great again, i got to tell you something. America ain't never stopped being great for
1: me. <laughs> you love it. You love it. Yeah. yeah. Not bad, man. Not bad. So. Got, got more than I deserve, I feel like. I want to say this to you on a personal note. Uh, uh,
0: my friends know me, and the folks have known me for a long time growing up, high school and kids and people, you know, my one hope, I, I, I'm not. I, I say all, at the end of my show, I say I'm not here for a long time. I'm here for a good time. But there is one thing I want everyone to remember me by, a guy that never changed. I try my best to be the same cat all the time. I love talking to people. I never rush somebody off when they when they when they come up to me start talking to me because you know I figure. I'm supposed to be there at that time. There's a reason I'm there. There's a reason that person, they're talking to me. And I don't discount anything. And that brings me to my next point. I live in the now. It's great that I had that wonderful past. But I, I'll be honest with you, brother, I don't talk about it very much. Other people have to bring it up because it pisses me off to go places. hear old athletes talk about all oh, what we used to do, and this and that, this and that, this and that. And it seems like they want that to happen again, and they want to relive that. And, you know, in a lot of the cases, if you were with those guys, you realize, man, that didn't happen like that. I was there. <laughs> because it's an old saying, the older you get, the greater you are. and and a lot of athletes are like that And, and, and what I'm saying is it's nice to have a pass it's nice to have a history, but let people talk to you about that. Don't go around and live in the past because you know 1985 and WrestleMania one, two, and three is as far away as 182 is. It ain't never coming back. All I can do now is hope for tomorrow and do and and try to keep going. I'm more interested in what am I doing today? What am I going to do tomorrow? Hopefully, I don't think down the road too much because I want to live in the now. I don't want to I don't want to burn my life up trying to get to some old age where I could retire because basically my life has been retirement my whole year, because my whole life, because if you've got jobs and things you do where you don't really you mind doing it and you love it, you don't really work a day in your life.
1: Right. Now, and I so, think part of that philosophy is probably because of your your lily pad philosophy, right? If you're jumping, trying to figure out what's the next thing, what's the next thing, you don't end up having to dwell too much in, oh, well, brother, what happened? I was
0: all, yeah, I, yeah, I was always the kind of guy that would watch and observe people and, and, and watch what they do, and I realized, look, if guys go out every night, in the wrestling business, and they party, and and, and and they took a the draw off their money that they are going to get at the end of the week because they used to pay us weekly or every two weeks or whatever it was, and and we didn't have big contracts in those days. They would pay you per show, and they would give you what was called the agents at the shows all around the country would give you draws. So like, so you could get four, five, six, seven, eight hundred dollars a night if you wanted to, and a lot of guys would get that money and they would go out and party. Now that brings me back to your point. I would watch these guys and they would all get out and get drunk and they'd all do the cocaine and everybody would treat them like they were rock stars trying to get them buzzed up and and these guys would all wind up doing the same thing, hitting the wall and making a fool of themselves and winding up high and dry with no money. And I realized, look, what would make anyone, especially me, think that I could do the same thing they're doing and not get the same results? What am I, special? (laughs) Right. So, therefore... My slogan was, I'm not there for a season. I'm there for a reason. (laughs) I was in that business. I was in that business, brother. I'll be honest with you, to make money. I was in that business because it was a wonderful opportunity for me to make money doing something I always enjoyed working out, exercising, lifting weights, training. And this was something that that would be absolutely part and required for what I do. And that made it good to me. And then plus, I was I was already at the age, I'd already had some accolades and stuff, from, you know, and when I was a young kid growing up for playing sports and stuff, so I didn't need something to stroke my ego. And I, and I wasn't really egocentric like a lot of these guys were. And there were some of the guys that got in there when they were 17, 18 years old. That's all they ever knew. And a lot of those guys sadly wind up with nothing because, you know, brother, I'm going to tell you something. Mm-hmm. If you're the best sports guy in the world, if you are the best sports guy that's ever been, if you have the best wrestling show that's ever been, and everybody knows it, that you're the best man, nobody can do a show and be more insightful and up on the wrestling business than you. You're going to be known for that way after you're gone and dead. But I'm going to tell you something. If you as an individual only do that in your life, you live a shallow life, and I'll tell you why. Life is about doing things. Life is about getting out and enjoying life. Cause people are going to remember Hillbilly the Jim the way they remember him as they, as they do. But I've got to get out and keep on doing stuff. I'm looking forward to doing new stuff all the time. I've always got my, my head up, my eyes on the road. I'm bright out in the Bushy Tail. I'm looking for something new to come along. And that's just, see, that works for me. And listen, you can't beat old age. Father time has never been defeated. But I'll tell you what he'll let you do. He'll let you work with him. But you cannot push against him and do crazy things like you did when you were 20 or 25. Because, you know, brother, when you're a young man like we were, listen, I wrestled 63 straight nights one time. Wow. 63. And I flew 53 of the 63 days. That's not even allowed in the airline industry by flight attendants and, uh, and, and pilots. So, you know, I, I'm telling you, but... I couldn't do that now at my age. I could get up there and still do what I had to do, but Father Time will let you do stuff, but you're going to have to work with him. So you've got to realize those people that get out there and try to be 20 again, they always wind up hurt. How and did... that's, one thing, that's one thing that makes me sad, seeing the old boys get up there and wrestle again, because I know they're doing it because of, uh, there's two reasons. There's probably money involved usually, and it's ego.
1: Right. So then was it was it difficult to get you to work the uh, the Battle Royal for WrestleMania 17? Because I thought that was great, but I just don't know if that fits into your mentality.
0: I, I, I'm going to tell you. I'm going to tell you. It was, it, 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 was, uh, it was a little bit... Excuse me, i have have a little water here. Uh, the WWE has always bum-rushed me for years and years and years. Trying to get me to get back in the ring. <laughs> I could call back up there right now, and I'm 63 and a half years old, and tell them I want to work a match. They have got me back in the ring in a month. I'd be back in there working... But they used to get mad at me because I wouldn't get back in that ring, and they couldn't seem to understand that I didn't give a damn about getting back in the ring. I have done my thing. I have made what I'm going to make out of that business. My 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 status as people remember me and legendary, whatever you want to call it, is set, and I don't want to get back in it. And that, and by the, by the way, I do have a desire to. They couldn't understand that I didn't have a desire to want to get back in that ring. Right. Listen, I had my run. It's somebody else's time now. That's just like, I'm not going to bitch and moan about what young people today do, even though I don't understand Twitter, I don't understand all this Facebook, I don't understand all this weird stuff that the young folks do today. But look here, I'm not going to sit up here and bitch and moan about it, because that's their time. I had my time. Right, right. I, I so I'm not going to risk of looking old and bitter.
2: <laughs> I say,
0: man! I, I, I say, man! That's fire, man! I don't know why. Wow, boom! I don't know what you're doing. So the WWE wanted me to get back in the ring and work, but I would not get back in the ring. And so they have called me to do a lot of those things to get back in there. And uh, a- a- hey, hey, I'll tell you something funny on that. That Patterson, now that that was the that was at the Astrodome. Remember?
2: Yeah, absolutely.
0: That, that was, okay. That was the gimmick battle roll. Yeah, and. Uh, and, and Pat Patterson. Then when they saw me, they said, "Oh my God, we got to put Hillbilly over this. Hillbilly's gonna win." We got, we got hit. I said, said "Cool, whatever, you know, whatever, you know." And about a, about an hour before we go out, he come up he says, "Jim," he said, "Would you mind if we put the chic over?" I said, "I don't care. Of course not. <laughs> Why do I care?" I said, "Of course I don't mind." And and, and, and you know, and, and I never, I, and, and I realized the reason they did it is because the Sheik was crippled. And then plus some of those guys have egos. So, so if you remember when we come out, when they, when we come out, if you roll the tape back, I got the biggest pop of anybody that came out.
2: When mm-hmm. I come
0: out of curtains, because I still kind of look like I'm supposed to. I looked
2: like the old <laughs> Right. Everybody.
0: Everybody, everybody else looked like death fucking warmed over. It was like, <laughs> Jesus Christ, look at these guys. I mean I mean go somewhere put a shirt on, whatever. Well, anyway, we got in the rain. And we start doing our thing, and the first damn thing that happened is either Michael Hayes or Nikolai Volkov. both of them uh, were never the greatest workers. I mean, they're okay workers in the ring, but clumsy. And, you know, when you're older like that, you go to do things that you could do 25 years ago, and it just ain't there, right? Mm -hmm. So one of them threw a damn kick. It hit me in my left middle finger. That's my guitar playing hand. That middle finger does a lot of work on chords, and you hit a lot of strings. And hit jam my finger. That son of a bitch is even jammed today. That big knuckle in the middle is. Because wow. one of them idiots kicked me, and I said, Jesus Christ, Michael, hey, we ain't been in the ring ten seconds. I mean, dude, to, <laughs> and, I, mean I, and, I mean, just don't even know what you're doing. So anyway, if you if you'll remember that match come down to it was three of us: myself, Sergeant Slaughter, and the Irish Chief that. That was the final of that uh, that match, and then they tipped me over. And then when they tipped, when, he, when Sergeant Slaughter somebody tipped me over, I think uh, I think Sheik went over and tipped him over. So both of us came out one one two, and Sheik won, Because the Sheik couldn't hardly walk.
1: Remember? Right. You yeah, no, I remember he couldn't. He had, his knees were all shot.
0: Well, that's when Bobby Heenan said he, he was WrestleMania 17, Bobby Bobby, Bobby Heenan said um, if you listen to the fans he says uh he says well the, "Well, the Sheik is moving if you don't get to the ring pretty soon, it's going to be WrestleMania 27." <laughs>
1: <laughs> so, so do you get back uh, there do you get back there after that like and talk to Michael Hayes and go, "What are you doing? You kicked you almost I kicked my finger off?" cried. Yeah, because we went to a party
0: uh, we had a party after that somewhere down there uh, down 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 Houston there. Uh at the hotel, and I remember, and, and and I saw Mike, and I said, Jesus, Mike, or Nikolai, I said, what are y'all doing in there? Jesus Christ, I said, I'm running for my life in there. I said, just stay on the ropes, get in the corner. I mean, you guys, <laughs> stay out of the middle. See, you know you, you know, in a battle royal like that, the, the number one thing you don't want to do is get out of the middle. Because mm-hmm. somebody or somebody will back crack you or somebody will leg dive you from the back, and you'll get a football energy like a crackback. And it's horrible. You've got to watch yourself. So the best thing to do is take corners, work down the ropes until you can see a way to get that do your spots or whatever, get in the middle and get out. Because that's when you get hurt when you get out in that middle. And I was, just, I was just trying to work with these guys, and I talked to them about that. And, and, and actually that night, God bless his soul, we went to a party, and the uh, lead singer and the guy that died a couple of years ago, Lemmy for Motorhead. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, Motorhead had played there that night uh, for us, and, and me and Lemmy were talking. I said, Jesus Christ, look at my fucking thumb, Lemmy. I said, I can't play guitar <laughs> no more. He said, all oh, right, Mike, what happened? I told him what happened. I said, <laughs> 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 it was hilarious. I mean, he was a great guy, too. So, I mean, who would have been Jim and Lemmy are hanging out together in Houston, Texas, after WrestleMania at seven days, yeah, especially eight, right?
1: and, and talking about playing guitar, too. <laughs> you know what? Lemmy was like a cold-blooded bass
0: player, I mean, in, in, in the loudest band on earth, probably ever. Yeah. Yeah, well, Motorhead was, they were ranked the, the loudest band in the world. I don't know if they were loud. There were some bands back when I was a kid that were real loud, like there was an old band out in San Francisco called Blue Cheer one time that was real loud. I don't know. I don't know. I, I, I don't want to hear either one of those things. I'm telling you because it was like it. But Lemmy was a great guy, and, and you know, I, I sang about him here a, a year or two ago. He passed away, and uh, what a sweet guy, you know. I mean, yeah, absolutely. You know, so there was some, some of the things that happened in wrestling, and uh, you know, but uh, how
1: did you uh, how did you end up uh, in such good graces with Vince McMahon? It seems like from the beginning, you guys had a good relationship in the sense that you came in, and as soon as you came in, you're paired up with Hogan. And ever since then, there's always been some job, in or around WWE, where you're kind of welcome.
0: Well, you know, you know, I think it's because I, I got to be honest with you. I think it's because of my attitude. I can remember early on, Vince came up to me after we after we got that Hillbilly Jim gimmick together, and we started doing that, and I was going around for a couple of months, and uh, uh, George Scott and and, uh, and George Scott and Vince and I, and uh, late great. Uh, Chief J. Strongbow put that gimmick together one night for me over there in New Haven, Connecticut. And that's where it was born at. And a uh, couple months after Elver Road, I was on TV somewhere, and Vince came up to me one day. He says, Jim, let me ask you something. He said, How do you how do you feel? Do you, are you comfortable doing the Hillbilly Jim gimmick? And I looked him around the face. I said, Vince, brother, the kind of money you're paying me, I'd be comfortable dressed like a green bean with a string on top of my head. <laughs> yes, I love it. And he said, Oh, I like it. And he laughed because but but you see, there's two ways of looking at that. I never was a squeaky wheel. I have never to this day ever in my life with my mother, that restaurant, I swear on my dear mother, I've never called them and asked them for a job. After I've got out of business, I've never called them and asked them, hey, put me on this fan access tour. Hey, bring me back, let me do TV. Hey, bring me back, let me do announcements. Let me do the Madison Square Garden. Let me manage the God Ones. Hey, bring me back, let me do the special events. I have never one day, and and most of these old guys, I'm telling you, a lot of them call them all the time trying to get spots thinking. And I have never, I'm the kind of guy that after you do something, I think it's time to move on. Right, of course. And uh, I'm going to be honest with you. I could have got more if I was a squeaky wheel, because there's an old saying, a squeaky wheel gets more grease. But, you know, I was never a complainer or a bitch or a moaner. And and in some respects, they kind of looked over me a lot of ways. As a matter of fact, they have had certain guys in this company that they have made. They created a little position called the uh, the ambassador position, right? Yeah. And I guess you probably know the deals. I ain't going to call no guys names because I love all the boys. But, you know... I'm not trying to toot my own horn, but I've never had a drug problem. I've never had a drinking problem. I've never had a five-wife, 15-sets-of-kids problem. (laughs) I've never had any problem. I've never done anything, got out and embarrassed the company. As a matter of fact, they always send me to all these race because they like to send me to meet and greets because I'm going to always talk to everybody and interact you know, you would think if, if, they were going to have a, if they were going to have an ambassador role, they'd have somebody like maybe me out there, who's somebody that you know him but is going to be good, they're going to love me, he's not going to be able to. But they'll send a guy, to and I guess you probably know the stories we're talking about. But, I mean, is this? are you taping this, or what are you doing now? What's going on this?
1: Yeah, we're taping are we,
0: are we, Okay, well, I ain't going to call no guys, but they created one for one guy, and he went out, and he was a big-time star, and a nice guy, but he made an ass of himself in a blunder. They were paying him, you know, five or six grand a week. And he screwed
1: it up immediately. Yeah, I mean, I think we are, thinking, We all know who you're talking about.
0: Yeah. Well, yeah, and I love you, but I ain't gonna say. But I, and I know the details as was told to me, which was just something that was just embarrassing. A grown man on that day. But you know, I, I, you know what? I don't care because you know what? It's just like when I got in that wrestling business, brother. I was looking for something to do. And I'll always find something to do as long as I want to do something. Because I just believe I can do it. I just believe I can do it. And, uh, and, and like I say, I always find things. that I'm real good at looking out. And I understand that sometimes you've got to really know how to, how to take advantage of your opportunities. Because I'm going to tell you as a young man, brother, uh, opportunity don't come every day. And that big window of opportunity don't open every day. Now, I can do anything I want to do the rest of my life. I'll probably never get over and any higher than being known as Hillbilly Jim. And that's a blessing, and I'll take that. I'm happy for that. Now, listen, I have no political aspirations. I've had people many times ask me run for run for uh, uh, for this uh, 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 governor's. I said, "Are you kidding me?" Only thing I'd run for, I'd run for the for the border before I do that, because <laughs> I deplore I deplore politics. And I know Donald Trump pretty well because we did two WrestleManias for him in a row, and and Donald showed up up there at that Trump Plaza. He when he had that first wife Ivana. They showed up, and, and he came come in the dressing room, and to his credit, brother, he knew every man. He'd come up to me and he said, hey, you know, how you doing? And, and wow. I'd get in the ring, get ready for, get ready for a battle war, and I'd go over to the ring and wave at him and Ivan and he wave back. So he was a wonderful guy to me. Yeah. But I don't like politics. I have a, I have a, I, I, I have a rule of thumb. I believe after a politician, he or she serves their term, every how long it is, that they ought immediately, after they're done with their term, they ought to immediately go to the federal prison and check in and serve the same amount of time because they've probably <laughs> done as much harm as most prisoners in there. Now, what do you think?
1: Yeah, and I think you're going to weed out the people who actually want to do it that way.
0: Yeah, well, well, well the problem of it is, it, it, even if you come up there and you're not corrupt, the system makes you corrupt, so trust Trump is different in one respect. I don't really consider him a Republican, even though he had to run on the Republican ticket. He's definitely not a Republican, because half of the staunch Republicans deplore him, right. and all the Democrats just about hate him, which makes him something to his own now. And here's what I say about this man. Whether or not you voted for him or whether or not you don't care, I didn't vote for either one of them, because, you know what, I don't care who they put in there, because none of them are going to call me up and say, hey, Jim, uh, what can we do to help you? i find out whatever they're going to do, and then I do what I got to do. So saying yeah. that, I give, that, give this man an give this man an opportunity. Give him a chance before you throw the dirt on him. Because really, when Obama got in there eight years ago, the, the Republicans did not give him a chance. They were on his butt right away. And as a matter of fact, the regime before that left this country in bad shape as they could have, in my opinion. Because if you remember, right before George W. got out of there. The economy went down in the tanks. We were almost in a real depression. Don't you remember the housing market went to hell? Oh, yeah. Don't you remember banking went to hell? Don't you remember the stock market dropped out? Don't you remember uh, the uh, the, uh, the motor companies in Detroit were all going under? And it was just about ready to tank. That's what they handed to Obama. And by the way, I'm not a big Obama head anyway. I don't like this Obamacare because I don't like anybody telling me what I've got to do. You know, but, but this... Learn from that. Let's don't treat this man like that. Give him a chance. Give him a year or so and see what he does. I mean, and before everybody starts complaining.
1: But it is interesting you because the, the the opposites happening now. Like all the all, mainly the Democrats are all rallying against Trump. The way the Republicans were rallying against Obama at the start of that term. It's just everybody's flipped sides. Brother, it's politics. Yeah.
0: That, that right there is what that right there is the essence of that nasty, awful, sickening, decrepit game called politics. That's what they do, and you know who gets hurt for that, brother? Folks like you and me, right? Your listeners out there, all the folks who listen to Hillbilly Jim's Moonshine Matinee each weekend and Outlaw Country Channel sixty, they listen to it and they get hurt because these people in my opinion, these Democrats and Republicans for years and years, have treated you and I like a tennis ball. And they're the guys on each side of the net batting us back and forth. And I'm not, those sh- I'm, not, I'm not so sure at a high level it's not a wink, wink, nod, nod. Okay, y'all take it now for a while. We're going to take it again later.
1: Right. Right. Before, before, well, I, before I let you go and go back to your day... No, I don't ever
0: want to go. That's why I'm not going to leave. I'm not, never going to leave. <laughs> I'm going to leave. This is going to be a marathon. I don't mind it. This is going to be a wrestling show par excellence. It's going to go into 2018.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I, I want to know uh, what what it was like working with Andre. I want to know what it was like when we with Andre. What was your relationship like with him? What was it like here, to
0: you? Be- okay, I'll, I'll make it clear to you. Andre the Giant was wonderful to me. He liked me. Now, and I like Andre the Giant, and I think about his life a lot, and he passes my mind a lot, and that was one of the what you call, here's a wrestling term, that's one of the hot spots of being in the wrestling business for me, is to be able to be and know the real icons of the business like Harley Race, Andre the Giant, you know, even a young macho man, Randy Savage, who I was kind of influential in bringing him up there from Tennessee uh, because I brought Jimmy Hardy in. The, they got him in there, and then I, he, brought, he brought Macho Man. But, but to be around these real legends, Bruno San Martino, some of the guys that are just the top, and the no superstar Billy Graham, all these guys that were, that were you know, real legends. And, and Andre, of course, was very misunderstood. And if he liked you, he was wonderful. If he didn't like you, brother watch out. He wouldn't give you time of day. For instance, he didn't like Uncle Elmer, that mm-hmm. big old guy I brought in called Uncle Elmer. Sure. Uncle Elmer was kind of a jerk off, you know? <laughs> and, and, and Uncle Elmer, Bob, Bobby Heenan came to me one time. Who, Bobby Heenan is one of my favorites. I wish he was better in his health. I love him to death. He's one of the smartest, wittiest guys God ever put on the earth. Yeah. He said to me, he says, He'll be. he says, Elmer, come over to me. And Elmer came over to me and Elmer says, Bobby, why don't Andre like me? <laughs> and Bobby says, well, Elmer, how do you know he don't like me? He said, because he told me he didn't like
2: me. <laughs> I <laughs> said,
0: Al, <"I'll, I'll laughs> let me tell you something, brother. You're in the danger zone with him because the biggest money and the most fun just about I ever had in the wrestling business, if you remember back, I wrestled with Andre the Giant, myself, tagged up with a manager, Captain Lou Battle. now get this, uh. and our opponents were King Kong Bundy, Big John Studd and their manager Bobby Heenan. Huh. We did those six man tag matches. We did them in the just the biggest cities. We did them in L.A. We did them in San Francisco. We did them in the Garden. We did them in Philadelphia. We did them Went to Miami, Chicago. We just did the big cities. We. And I had the most fun because Stud and Bundy would jump on me and beat the hell out of me. I'd start the match. Just like I owed them money or something. <laughs> and just because they knew what was supposed to happen. And then, we'd get, and then we'd, get the, we'd get the two managers in. It was hilarious. And then finally, when I give the hot tag to Andre, he would come in and beat the hell out of Stud and Bundy. And I'm talking about he would chop John Stud so hard. John would cower like a little girl. He'd chop. And then he would take Chris, uh, King Kong Bundy. He'd grab him by that damn singlet that he had, that big old singlet of Chris. He'd pull him around like a rag doll and he'd throw him in the corner on stud and then he'd run in and smash them both. And of course, I know we were working a little bit, but it looked like it really hurt. And then that'd be the match. That'd be my whole match. And I was making like, a, you know, a ton of money a week doing that. But Andre was, Andre was a great friend of mine in that respect. I miss him. I like him a lot. I, and and let let me tell you something. I've wrestled against him before and I wrestled with him before. It's much better to wrestle with him. I, one time, one, one time he got in John Studd's head so bad, right, that John had to go start seeing a psychiatrist. What was he? Because John had this thing, he'd go out and say, I'm a real John. And he just did that and say, I've I'm, I'm slammed Andre and all that stuff like that, and I can't be slammed. And Andre, you know, even though we we're wrestling, it's so a wrestler, Andre had a big big ego like that, and Andre didn't like it. So he was he would beat John up pretty bad. So finally, John, one night, we were in Madison, Wisconsin. I'm back there getting dressed, right? I don't know who I'm going to work with. Andre comes over to me, puts his hand on my shoulder. He says, hey, boss. You're working with me tonight. I said, oh, great.
2: Because
0: <laughs> John Studd left. John just took off. He, he cracked. He had a middle breakdown. He left. So I had to wrestle Andre around, which meant any time that you're going to bring a substitute in, right? Yeah. To wrestle, the substitute always wins. Because if you don't, you'll piss the people off, right? Oh. Because they're expected, to see, they're expected to see Big John Studd wrestle Andre the Giant right and if people at the gym shows the best say, "Oh," and and then they expect you to beat me, so i'd always i'd get to beat him i'd talk to him every night, but I would lay them punches in on him because if Andre, if you start throwing them little fly punches at him he would beat the hell out of you. <laughs> and his body, his body, brother, was like beating on a damn refrigerator or something. It felt like a big cow's body. So I laid them punches on mean, I bend him over and I do them big punches. And uh, he even told me one time his back was hurting me. He said, hey, boss, he said, would you lighten up on them on them, uh, them forearms? I said, you've got it. Because I, I didn't want to hurt him. His back was bad. So if it even hit me and knocked me down, I'd take a bump. I would get right back up at his feet, and crawl right back up his knees that way he would have to bend down, I was helping he knew I was helping him, right
2: right, so
0: I come right back to him. and he appreciated that, but uh and I, I and by the way, he's gone, and I tell you s is gone uh uh trailer's gone, you know, you know uh, the, uh, the big boss man,
2: yeah,
0: and one night one night one night, let me tell you what happened. We were in a show one night, and the big boss man was on the card. And, uh, and Akeem, Akeem, the a dream was on there. You know, big Akeem, uh, the one man gang. Yeah. And they called him Akeem the dream. Okay. They had him drifted into Africa. So, well, and I was going to work Andre in the main event, right? Well, let me tell you, the planes got messed up, and I had to go back out, and I had to work against Ray Trailer, and, and I got to be him match. And then I come back out, and I had to wrestle about two matches later. had to wrestle Akeem the dream, and I be him. And then Andre, I come out and wrestle Andre, and Andre get this I so I beat him, so I go back and him, I said, I must be the toughest son of a bitch in the world. i beat the three biggest fuckers on earth. And anyway, all Andre was like, but the other boys are mad at me. I said, I'm just, I'm just joking.
2: Come on. <laughs>
0: so anyway, uh, God bless Andre. Uh, he was a wonderful guy. I had kind of a sad life because... Uh, you think about this, he couldn't go nowhere. You can't hide that, brother. You know, you might be able to put a hat on or maybe put some more clothes on to hide if you're a big guy. Those guys just said, but you can't hide seven foot two, five hundred pounds.
1: Right, of course. Can't, yeah, he's got to be him everywhere, yeah. Yeah. can't hide that. You
0: can't hide that. What was uh, uh, He was a man. Was, I just want to tell the listeners that uh, he, his hand, his hands and fingers were so big. Now, check this out. He had a ring made one time for him. Uh-huh. That's uh, what for his, I think it was his left hand, like his second finger, uh, the, the, from the uh, from, from the little finger, and and the ring was his fingers were so big. Get this, you could take a silver dollar and drop it right through that damn ring. Wow. That's how huge his fingers was. If he wanted to open up on you, I mean, you couldn't do nothing. I mean, if he ever, I, I don't care what anybody did. He, I tell these guys, he uses UFC guys and all these guys. A younger Andre the Giant when he was in pretty shape, if all he would just, he told me a funny story one time. I know I'm killing your time, but you're going to love this. He told me a story, a Japan story. There was a bunch of big promotions in, in Japan. Andre go Russell for him. And he, he was real big in the Orient. They loved him, as you can imagine. Well, he wrestled one time, and he, they had a guy over there that had a territory. He's, they called him Giant Baba. Okay. He was a giant Japanese. He's about 6'6", six, six, about sure, 300 yeah. pounds. Called himself. That's giant for Japanese. He called himself Giant Baba. And, and he, uh, he, he did a big thing where he and Andre were going to wrestle, and Andre didn't like him much. He did something that got on Andre's. Nerves. And Andre told me one time, and I thought I would die laughing. Me and Andre both laughed for five minutes. Uh, he says he, he said, I wrestled Papa. He said, at the Tokyo Dome. I said, Really? I said, What? He said, oh, Blah, 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 blah. He says You know, he tried to get smart in me. I did not like him. I told him. He kept on. He said, So I pick him up, he says, and I give him a belly to back suplex. <laughs> I said, What happened? And I said, What happened to him? He said, Calma
2: he <laughs> <laughs> put him in a coma.
0: And <laughs> I said Andre the fucking coma. He said, Coma <laughs> <laughs> And then he laughed, we laughed about that for an hour. I said <laughs> I go up to Andre, I said, I said, look at me. No coma tonight, okay? You said no coma <laughs>
1: <laughs> Isn't that great? And it was uh, all it was all up to him. He could just choose. I'm gonna you, put you in a coma tonight. And
0: you, and, you, and you know and you know uh and see you gotta realize <clears throat> life as you as you live through your life and you become older and older and older, you have life is nothing but a collection of your memories. And if you got some great memories, then there you
1: go. Yeah, you know, absolutely. And, and you know, speaking of memories, are you are you putting a book out? This is what I hear. Well, there is a new book out on Hillbilly Jim. It's out. That's out right now, yeah. and it's
0: done by a writer called Gary P West. And he's did it out on me, and he did this book on me. We, we I, I think we did the uh, the uh, the launch on this book in, in October. Uh, and 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 actually, uh, you know, he he solicited me to do this book. I wouldn't ever want to do it, but but it, it turned out to be a, a a kind of a about a year and a half process. I I, I came up with about I bet you I gave him seven hundred or seven hundred fifty of my own personal photos, aside from different things. And the book has about two hundred photos in there. Some you'll never ever see, like me and Jonathan has and me and the Young Rock and stuff like stuff that you'll never see. Yeah. but but. But but it took about a year and a half for us to do this and it took me down memory lane and I had to do just countless interviews with him and 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 I'll be honest with you look I'm not the kind of guy that really cares about doing something like that for myself because I was there I don't need that don't make my ego uh, anything but he impressed upon me that he wanted to do this book and I asked him why and he said well Jim he said you're Probably the most famous guy that ever came out of this town that we live in here, and you're known by more people around the world than anybody's ever came to this town of Bowling Green, Kentucky here. Mm -hmm. And I said, well, that's good and everything. Like I appreciate that. And 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 he was a great writer. He's wrote a bunch of books. His name is Gary P. West. And uh, if you want to, if anybody wants to order a book, you just look up Gary P West. I don't have the exact, uh, I don't have his exact site there, but if you look it up, he's a writer from Bowling Kentucky. And if you were really wanting to order a book for us before Christmas, so we could sign them for you, Gary can get them to you. Other than that, the book is out on a claim, a claim press, A C C L A I M. Press and it's the Hillbilly Jim book, and they'll send them to you. But you can't get it autographed, and that will come from the company, which is out of Missouri. Uh, the book is fun; I, I, it took me down memory lanes. It made me remember a lot of things that I just seem not to remember, it, uh, and some things. That I, you know, I, but, but here's what I said: I want this book to be the truth. I want this book to be things that people can't Google on me, which, by the way, a lot of that stuff that they Google is not true. But, but I want it to be things that, 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 that they can Google uh, and then and, and say, wow, that's not what Jim really said, because they have that information wrong. And I just want it to be things that uh, people can learn about me that they couldn't find out anywhere else. And so I have a lot of stories in there, and, and we've, we've had a lot of fun doing that. And uh, so it's a new book out. And I'll be honest with you, it's quite an honor for me because uh, I, I just, just found out that next week my city I'm from wants to bring me down, and, and they, want to make me, they want to make an honorary hillbilly gym day uh, wow. in my city here, which is nice. And, uh, I've got a, and, and to be honest with you, I've couple of, got a couple of colleges and universities, so this is the thing that I really probably am most proud of. They want to give me honorary degrees. Hey. I that's... mean, well, 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 here's the deal. Here's the deal. Brother, when you get a book done on you, It puts you in a different world. This is not like going down and making a record if you can play music or something that people may or may not live. But it's something about a book. And this book is a very nice done book, too. It's a beautiful book. It's got the dust cover on it. And the book looks just like the dust cover if you take it off. So it's a well-made, expensive, nice-looking book. And this is something that'll be around long after Hillbilly Jim's gone, and it'll be in libraries, and it'll be in law school systems and stuff. And I'm real proud of it. And you know what, brother? It makes people look at you differently.
1: Yeah. I I, got to get a book done on me. You gotta get a book done on you. Yes, sir. <laughs> get it
0: done. Get it done. Well, well, well here's well here's the deal. There are some statistics you can find out. If you think of all the people that are on earth, if you look at the number of people that have a book done on them that they didn't do on themselves, it's just one out of hundreds of millions. Mm-hmm. That have you know, but because because not many people have books done on them. And uh, as I say, the guy's name is Gary West, Gary P. West, and I'm not sure what his site is, but Gary lives in the town here where I'm from, and he's done a lot of impressive books. He did a lot of big books. He did a book on the American Basketball Association, which is very big, and a lot of other ones that were real good. And he does. He's, he's does he's, he does. writes for newspapers and stuff, and he's really got a good. Uh, he's really got a good way of writing that you can follow real good. And uh, like I say, we've been we've been selling a lot of these before Christmas. People want to get them as stocking stuffers, so. I'm just happy that uh, it's just quite an honor, you know.
2: So. It's, it's, but it's amazing. But thank
0: you for making that up. I appreciate, I appreciate that because, you know, I cleared that with the WWE because, you know, they still, they still take care of me, and I'm on one of those legends contracts with them. And I called up to the lawyers, and I said, listen, guys, before we begin this, I have a gentleman here who wants to do this, and I called a lawyer up that I know very well there. I said, is this going to be any problem moving forward with the company? He said, absolutely not, Jim. I said, well, if you would and if you could, I'd like for you to call the guy that's uh, the, the the publishing company, Acclaim Press. And I want you to talk to this guy. And I said, here's what I want you to do. I want you and him to to, to, to be on the same level and to make sure he might want you to send him something uh, by email or something he could keep to make sure there won't be no lawsuits. Because, you know, everybody likes to sue everybody. Yeah. And, uh. And, and the WWE does books on guys, and, but, but you know, I've never asked like I say, I'm not a squeaky wheel. I could have probably got a lot more if I'd have really st- stood up and stood up for myself. But you know, brother, I'm happy be, I'm not so much worried about what somebody else makes, I'm worried about what I make. As long as I'm happy with it, I don't care what nobody else makes.
1: That's excellent. You can also, of course, you've got to get Sirius XM. You can hear me in the mornings, but more importantly, you can hear Hillbilly Jim over on Outlaw Country. Uh and that's a show you've been doing for a long time and, and it's a pretty big well, I don't know
0: I don't know if hearing me I don't know if hearing me is more important because I'm telling you the wrestling fans would love this and they love the fact that you're keeping this thing going and, and from me to you, brother, I appreciate you for doing this and uh, and for keeping the business alive and I'm always giving shout outs to, to, to my wrestling fans and friends because if it wasn't for that business I wouldn't have been at Sirius XM Radio. I wouldn't have got to know uh, Steve Popovich Senior who is a, a dear buddy of little Stephen Van Zandt. And little Stephen Van Zandt runs my channel, and he's the one that championed me many years ago for me to start this moonshot that day. So, uh, Steve Popovich Sr. is gone now, but little Stephen Van Zandt is still running the channel. And I'm doing my show now going on 12 years, and I have uh, the late, great Steve Popovich's son, Steve Popovich Jr. is my producer. And uh, everything is, uh, you know, we just keep going on. I'll tell you, man, when I first began this show, they quartered me on this for about a, a you know, year or two. We're going to do it, it ain't ready yet it's going to do and i this is this was my thinking. I said, you know, I need to do this show just for a year, just for it to be worth my effort because they've been bugging me, but we're going to do it. it ain't quite ready every a year, and now that I'm looking down the barrel at twelve years, I would have not dreamed it, Brother. I figured the most have been a year or two or three, and I've been out of here,
1: yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's tough. It's tough. I know I've seen a lot of people come and go at Sirius XM. There's not that many people that have lasted as long as you have.
0: My twelve years, and 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 I'm real happy to do that. And and by the way, I couldn't have done it if it
1: wasn't for tremendous fans and wonderful response.
0: And they send us all these little awards and things, and tell us how much they like our show. And, and I've got real, real wonderful listeners out there all over—not just America, but all over Canada. And I get people to pick it up off the computer, just like you do, in different countries, and we get response from them, and that's heartwarming for me because uh, you know you, you just don't ever know who you can—you uh, just don't ever know who you can impress or who you can. Make feel better. And you know, with this business that we're in, you can paint a picture with your voice. right? And that's kind of what I like doing. That's the way I remember radio when I was a young guy. I can remember those DJs and those guys taking you to places and making you think about things that can make you just drift away. It wouldn't matter what kind of place or circumstance you were in. That guy talking on the microphone like you do, brother, and I get a chance to do, We can uh, we, we can reach out and touch people and we can help some folks in ways that sometimes, brother, we don't even know we do.
1: Well, Hillbilly Jim, it's been great. Next time you're in New York, we've got to do it in person. And, uh, yeah, good luck with everything, my friend.
0: Well, listen, thank you. And remember, don't go messing with the country, boy. <laughs> and take care of yourself and, uh, and you, brother, and all your listeners. I want to wish you a wonderful, safe, merry Christmas and a great, happy new year. we got new things happening in 2017. Let's just get all behind it and see if we can not get this done. Woo, I love it.
1: I love it. Thanks a lot, man.
0: All right, call me when you need me, brother. Can't wait to come
1: back again. You got it. I'll talk to you later. Bye-bye. Here is Sam Roberts. Really great time with Hillbilly Jim, and there's so much more to talk about with him. You know, he not only, as he said, he had his career with WWF in terms of wrestling in the ring, but then he went on to be uh, a sales rep for Coliseum Home Video, and anybody that doesn't have fond memories of Coliseum Home Video or... Silver Vision for my UK fans. For those of you that don't know, I grew up in the United Kingdom. I lived in England for four years as a little kid. So don't think I'm not way up on Silver Vision, okay? But all the American wrestling fans who didn't have Silver Vision, they know all about Coliseum Home Video. And that that name alone has to give you goosebumps for how retro it is. But he was a sales rep for Coliseum Video. He was the host of the WrestleMania Access autograph tour that would go from shopping mall to shopping mall for WrestleMania 20 and 21 and 22 and 23. He did Legends House. He's done all this stuff. So still, even after about an hour of talking to him, a lot more to talk to Hillbilly Jim about. And I'm sure at some point we'll get to talk to him again But definitely let me know what you thought of that interview by tweeting me at NotSam whenever you get the chance this week Um, because you might not get a chance. You know, there's a lot of wrestling that's on television, and when you're not watching wrestling, you're going to have to find something good to watch, and I've got good news. Jason Bourne is out on home video. That's right, and you can watch that. It's a great movie. Matt Damon returns, returns. To his iconic role in Jason Bourne, now available on 4K Ultra HD and Blu-ray combo pack, Uh, hear Jason Bourne in DTSX technology for the most immersive, lifelike audio experience available at home. It's been 10 years since Jason Bourne walked away from the agency that trained him to become a deadly weapon. When former CIA operative Nikki Parsons hacks into the agency database to uncover evidence about its illegal black ops program, she discovers new information about Jason Bourne's recruitment that alters his understanding of the past. Join Matt Damon in the next chapter in Universal Pictures' Bourne franchise, which finds the CIA's lethal former operative drawn Out of the shadows. Get Jason Bourne with DTSX Sound at Amazon today. Rated PG-13. Maybe inappropriate for children under 13 years old, but hey, you want an action-packed movie, hit up Jason Bourne, and you can get it at Amazon. Uh, And of course you can use the Amazon link at NotSam.com when I post the uh, podcast each and every week. Uh, I don't know. I, I guess it's not technically a state of wrestling item, because It's not wrestling news, but personal politics aside, and I think this podcast is absolutely about putting personal politics aside. If you're still sitting there thinking about politics while this podcast is on, you're missing the point. Okay, this is our escape from the world of politics. But if we're just looking at what's going on in the world as a wrestling fan, News broke at the time, just minutes before I sat down to record this podcast, Linda McMahon is officially going to be part of Donald Trump's cabinet. To me, it's amazing news. The idea that Linda McMahon, a member of the McMahon family, is going to be part of Donald Trump's cabinet. Do you know how many WrestleManias that have been involved in that cabinet now? You've got Donald Trump, who not only hosted WrestleMania 4 and 5, but it took place at, at WrestleMania 23 in the Battle of the Billionaires. Then you got Linda McMahon, who was a McMahon in every corner of WrestleMania 16. She was a, a, a very much involved in the Shane McMahon-Vince McMahon WrestleMania match for control of WCW. Do you remember? She came out of her coma out of the wheelchair. It was amazing. Uh, now, the fact that she came out of her wheelchair like that for WrestleMania leads me to believe that maybe she should have some kind of job in National Health Services or something because she certainly knows something about recovering from a coma. But she is uh, she's she's part of Donald Trump's cabinet. I don't know if she's going to move to Washington, D.C. I don't know what it entails. I don't think she's moving into the White House. But she's, I guess, the in charge of small business uh, for this White House, which, Honestly, if you look at WWE and what Vince and Linda McMahon did with that company, it's it's hard to say she's not qualified. You know, when you take a a, a a company like WWE that was this family made thing, it was this thing that that Vince bought from his father and turned into something much much bigger, and eventually turned into a global entertainment phenomenon that is now a publicly traded company Um, I think the fact that she was right there building it with him let's not forget she was in charge of the company for a while Uh, I would say she's qualified and I think WWE is actually a great example of an American small business succeeding so I'm excited that there's a McMahon uh, that close to the White House and and uh, hurrah and let's keep pushing forward on the eventual takeover of the McMahons. This is going to be the McMahons America. The WWE is taking over America, and then it'll be coming around the world. I love it. I love it. They always said they were taking over, and boy, oh boy, are they. Enough with the... I mean, that's about as political as we're going to get on the podcast. Let's get into the state of wrestling.
3: It's now time for this week's State of Wrestling.
1: You ever feel like your TV is talking to you? You ever watch one of your favorite TV shows and feel like messages are being sent to you? It seems like most uh, psychotics in horror movies and stuff like that see and feel stuff like that. But as I'm watching SmackDown this week, I can't help but assume, not wonder, assume that the people, the creative team behind WWE SmackDown, the writing force behind that show was saying hello to me. The idea that a Tanya Harding reference... it And it felt to me when I watched it like Carmella almost shoe, shoehorned in a reference to Tanya Harding. It really wasn't necessary. And quite honestly, a lot of their audience didn't even get it because the Tanya Harding controversy happened years ago. I just... And maybe it's my ego talking. I couldn't help but feel like they were saying, "Sam, we've been, we hear you. We heard you, Sam. We were listening to Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast." Carmella says that Natty, Tanya Harding, Nikki Bella. This is what I said from the minute Natty was announced as a Survivor Series a uh, uh, coach. For the women's team. Now, I don't know. I I have spoke to Natty since then, and I said to her that that's what I wanted to see, and she she did pull me aside and said, "You just wait. Um, there'll be some there'll be some tricky stuff happening." So maybe that's that's Natty saying, "Hey," remembering that and saying, "Why don't you mention Tanya Harding?" Or that's the writing team just listening to the podcast and being like, "What's up, Sam? We see you." Then the fact that that the Miz after my millennial Miz rant on the podcast last week, comes out and offers a participation award to Dean Ambrose. Come on, isn't that a little close? I don't have any inside information. I feel like that's a little close. Granted, it's the opposite. You know, I said that the Miz should be the one, like, accepting that award. But still, it's really on the nose to what we've been talking about. To watch those two things happen on one episode of SmackDown... I can't help but assume that there's there are people there saying, hey, Sam, how you doing, buddy? That's what it felt like to me. Like the people behind SmackDown were going, Sam, hey, what are we doing, pal? And I'm going, not too much, not too much. I was yelling back on my TV going, hey, good to see you too. And my wife comes in like, Sam, what are you doing? And I go, they're talking to me. SmackDown's saying hello. She's like, all right, whatever. She goes back to bed. I don't want to deal with it. I don't know what you've got going on anymore at all. But I saw it, I saw it, and I don't, I don't chalk it up to coincidence. Maybe I'm losing it, but I do not chalk it up to coincidence. Not by a long shot. No, it's too close. It's too close. There was too much there. I can't, I can't chalk it up to coincidence. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm. I like where the Natty storyline is going, and I like that it's being stretched out as, as much as it's being stretched out. They've been doing a great job of, of stories kind of taking a little more time than they used to Um, I like that this story is being stretched out and that we've got some some room on it but um, I'm assuming that within a couple weeks we'll find out that Natty did indeed take out Nikki Bella but she didn't do it because she wanted a shot on the Survivor Series team no 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 she did it she did it for the rock (laughs) I did it for the rock, <laughs> I actually am starting to assume that Natty is not behind the attack on on Nikki Bella. You know, I'm getting just because the, the commentators are all kind of believing it. I'm I'm starting to assume that that didn't happen, and that we may find out that it's Eva Marie that is jealous of all the attention that Nikki Bella gets from E!, that Nikki Bella gets her own reality show, that Nikki Bella is still the star of Total Divas and it will be uh, uh, Eva Marie that comes out and says this is, this is how I got my revenge. Now it doesn't make a ton of sense because Eva Marie wasn't even at Survivor Series, but these things don't always have to make sense. It just seems like Natty is is starting to be the -the on-the-nose choice, but we'll see. We'll see how it pans out. Um, The Miz stuff was good this week. Uh, The Miz is further developing and further developing into something that is really, really cool. First of all, the entire talking smack after TLC. I guess we'll start with with talking about TLC. Because a couple of things for sure happened at TLC. Number one, let's talk about how amazing it is that SmackDown is doing the right thing. If there is one success story to come out of this draft. It's Kevin. It's 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 Bray Wyatt. Kevin Owens I guess is too. But if there is one success story to come out of this draft, it's Bray Wyatt. Bray Wyatt that tag team championship win at TLC, it was the first time he's ever won a title in WWE. Big WrestleMania matches, lots of attention paid to him years in the company, he has never held a title. And he walks out tag team champions the first time. And the fact that they were teasing, it's just so like little, the things that are going on with the Wyatt family. You know, they've been teasing that there is some contention between Randy Orton and Luke Harper this whole time. And not being obvious about it. The commentators weren't even really talking about it. But there was always this thing where Luke Harper would look at Randy Orton weird, like they would walk to the ring and Bray would be looking forward, and Randy would be looking forward, and Luke Harper would be looking at Randy. Or the fact that like Luke Harper would get involved in their matches, but they wouldn't get involved in the Luke Harper singles matches, Randy Orton and Bray Wyatt. Little things were happening where you were like, oh, they may be planting the seeds for this this thing where Randy Orton and Bray Wyatt are the Wyatts, and Luke Harper is being ignored, and then he goes solo. But the fact that they put the titles on Luke, first of all, if you watch TLC, there was a very real moment between Bray Wyatt and Luke Harper. Go back and listen to the podcast uh, that Katie and I interviewed uh, Bray Wyatt. It was at WrestleMania Radio Row this year, and we talked to him about. And it's right there on the iTunes feed. If you just go and scroll down, you can find all every podcast. There's almost what what is it? hundred over hundred and ten podcasts are all there. Whenever you want to download them, they're all for free. But go back, get that podcast, listen to it, and listen to the way that was right after Luke Harper got injured. And he talks about it, and he talks about how bad it was for him. And he's being real, you know. I think that that starts... uh, Bray Wyatt, the character, started to strip away a little bit, and the man started to come out as he talked about Luke Harper. Because I, I, I think he considers Luke Harper a brother. And there was a very... And you can tell... That Luke getting injured and slowing down the progress of what was going to happen was very upsetting to him because number one, his friend got injured, but number two, he didn't he doesn't he didn't want to do what was happening without Luke. So there was a real bond between those two guys, and there's this moment at TLC, if you watch it, when Bray puts the title on Luke, when he grabs him by the head and he says something, and I have no idea what he said. But it was this very real kind of we-did-it moment, which I was—I just really like to see because it was real life and it was two dudes that were like, yes, we," because they have worked so hard to finally get rewarded for something. Bray and Luke Harper have worked so hard trying to make things work, trying to put things over the top, like just... Working and pushing and pushing and really coming up with adversity a lot, really having to make up for a lot of losses, really having things not go the way that it could have gone. It has not been an easy ride for those two. So I think it meant a lot, and there was a very real moment between those two that you should go back and look at because uh, it was great. And then Randy putting the other title on Luke Harper's shoulder was like it was it was it was very poetic, and I thought it was. Uh, great. you know, It was this moment where the Wyatts come together as a family. This is the first title success that the Wyatts have had. And just all things considered, it was a long time coming. So I was very, very happy to see Bray Wyatt and Randy Orton win those tag titles. And again, having them be dominant on SmackDown this week was just such a good step in the right direction. I just loved it. I love seeing it, and I'm I'm happy about it. Um, What else happened at the pay-per-view? Alexa Bliss is women's champion. I'm a fan of. Uh, I, I really enjoyed I got some heat on Twitter. But I really enjoyed the Nikki Bella-Carmella match. I thought it was, I mean, you know, the fire extinguisher finish was a little bit silly. But beyond that, I thought it was super hard hitting. I thought it was, uh, they both worked super hard. Like, I, I thought it was a good match. And it definitely captured my attention. The ladder match between The Miz and Dolph Ziggler was great. Uh, I love that The the Miz still... The pay-per-view was a great pay-per-view. And the fact that The Miz ended, we know. What do bad guys do? They they kick the good guy in the dick. That's what they do, historically. The mailbox is where the bad guy kicks the good guy. And that's what happened at the pay-per-view, which is what you want to see. You don't want to see it, but you want to see it. You know what I mean? And finally, the AJ Dean match was a classic, for sure. For sure. Um... I you never want to see live footage edited, but I probably wouldn't mind them going into Adobe Premiere or something and and trying to color AJ Style's butt cheek blue to match his tights. That wasn't the best thing in the world and 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 God bless him. they tried to shoot around that big hole in his cheek, but it wasn't gonna happen. you know that was that was gonna be part of the show. but what did I say? What did I say a week or two before the pay-per-view? If you turn James Ellsworth heel, he's not going to have long left on his run. Now, uh, I still don't necessarily take that back. I, they're doing great with him. I, I thought, and this gets me to talking smack after the pay-per-view. Talking smack after the pay-per-view was great. The whole Every guest on the show. The Baron Corbin was awesome on it. Uh, I think The Miz was on it. Yeah, yeah, The Miz was on it, and he was great. And then uh, the James Ellsworth... Yeah, yeah, I loved the ending of The Miz and Daniel Bryan shouting at each other and the show just ending. Like, it didn't... There wasn't this sort of bow. There wasn't a resolution. It just they cut it off because these guys wouldn't stop yelling at each other. And James Ellsworth's explanation as to why he did it, just the fact that, like, James Ellsworth is becoming an egomaniac is fun. The idea that James Ellsworth is now thinking, well, any man with two fists has a fighting chance, like he believes his own hype, which is so funny because Renee actually brought up a good point on Talking Smack when she was talking about uh, Ellsworth and Daniel Bryan being a little bit responsible for him. Because I think that is something to explore and I like that they're exploring it is that this idea that for a long time, for weeks, James Ellsworth was talked about like, uh, oh yeah, let's give him a chance. We all love James Ellsworth. Let's put him in the main event. You know, Shane McMahon was all about it, making him the mascot. Daniel Bryan was all about, you know, putting him in the main event and him interfering in everything. And what happens? You've created a monster that blew up in everybody's face. You've created a monster that that believes his own hype. Now you've got a guy that doesn't understand that all of his success is a goof. Like, this is even better than that carry finish, right? This is even better, because I was always afraid that we would get to this situation where James Ellsworth has a bucket of pig's blood poured over his head during a WrestleMania main event or something like that. Like, they're all going to laugh at you, James! But this is even better. This is like... If that movie Carrie, if Sissy Spacek, or I guess if you're younger, Chloe Grace Moretz, had decided that she was like a hottie. You know what I mean? Like if 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 Carrie had been like, wait, I am one of the popular girls. Like instead of turning into Carrie, James Ellsworth turned into Lindsay Lohan in Mean Girls. Where he's a plastic now. He's a plastic. And after all this, we're like, What are you talking about, James? You're not hot. We don't wear sweatpants, and you can't sit with us. You got no chin. Just watching him on that show, and and Dean Ambrose isn't his friend, and AJ Styles isn't his friend, it really is cathartic to see a guy, because you you don't want to see a guy get bullied. You don't want to see a guy get picked on unless he really deserves it. And James Ellsworth is being turned into a guy who really deserves it. So... I like the direction. There's not that much of a direction you can do with him. I guess he's been doing the live events and just doing run-ins. I think it's really funny that you can tell that this was just kind of a thing that they're going with. And I like it when they just go with stuff. That this isn't long-term thinking, because, like I've said before, when they did it with One Two Three Kid, they knew he was a great wrestler, and so once he kind of joined the main roster and stopped being a, a, a enhancement talent, he wrestled matches he wrestled matches at house shows he wrestled matches at TV like he had opponents he won titles he did the whole thing James Ellsworth is never gonna win matches you know he's not good he's not gonna he's not gonna win matches you know he's kind of just like a, a a goof but I think it's a really original idea that he doesn't know he's a goof that he's the only one that actually thinks he's the man you know we and and this is what we do this goes back to to the culture that we live in what do we do we reward people and reward people and reward people and we don't like to criticize people and we let James Ellsworth think that he holds three victories over AJ Styles Dean Ambrose is sitting there congratulating Ellsworth on his three victories over AJ Styles the reason he's doing that is to get into AJ's head what he doesn't realize is the whole time he's doing that, he is blowing up the ego of this delusional guy who's not even thinking about the fact that, oh yeah, we're getting into AJ's head. He's thinking about the fact that, yep, Dean's right. Dean Dean's correct. I'm the man. I beat AJ three times. And you're going, No, James, that's not what this is. That's not what we're talking about. So I'm I'm I like where the storyline's going. Um uh, you know, by the time this thing blows up, there isn't anything you can do. He's got no friends left. So, you know, you could have him just be a guy that comes out and ruins matches, I guess. And just, it's a total, like, that's that's where he's headed, right? After this storyline, he becomes a guy who just ruins the night. Like, he just makes dunderheaded decisions everywhere he goes. He just gets involved, and, and he gets his butt kicked for it. I wouldn't mind that. If James Ellsworth is just a guy that ruins things and then gets beat up because of it, I would watch that show. I don't mind it at all. But, you know, believe it or not, James Ellsworth is capable of playing that guy. And he proved that not only on SmackDown this week, but on Talking Smack. Speaking of Talking Smack, there's an issue on the internet right now. For some reason, I feel like... uh, The four-man commentary booth on SmackDown, which has been going on for, like, weeks, is really just getting addressed now. I don't know if people are just kind of picking up on it. I don't know if it's because of the pay-per-view. But there are people complaining about, like, the four-man commentary booth. And while, yes, when it's being shot, like when you see it on TV, it looks like it's a bit much, it's not a four-man commentary booth. If you watch the show... Tom Phillips is not doing commentary. Morrow does play-by-play and Tom Phillips does the the hosting. Tom Phillips does the Hey, 2 weeks from tonight it's TLC. Hey, coming up later we've got Alexa Bliss's championship celebration. And Maybe you could say, well, that should be given to David Otunga. You know, there's no reason for a fourth guy. But he's not taking anything away. I don't know. It's weird that anybody would have a problem with it. Tom Phillips is really, really good at what he does. We all enjoy Morrow's commentary. So, you know, they're just combining the two. So I I don't think anybody needs to be critical of of the four-man commentary booth because they're not all commentating. It's still during matches. If you listen during matches, it's a three-man booth. And then after the match, or going into break, or whatever it is, that's the only time Tom Phillips busts in. And Tom Phillips is great at doing his job and not overstepping. Um, so I don't know what the yeah. So I don't know what the uh, what the issue is with that. Um, what else have I, I? I think I've gotten everything that happened at TLC. I I just I could see I could James Ellsworth coming in and just ruining people's matches. And then getting beat up is not a bad Ellsworth. It's not a bad Ellsworth. Um, and Nakamura, Shinsuke Nakamura won the NXT title over the weekend. They were doing house shows in Japan, and they put the title back on Nakamura. I understand why they do it they, and, and why they changed the title between, I think, Finn Balor, it was, and Samoa Joe at a house show. Wasn't that a Boston house show that they did that out? Like, they're trying to get uh, uh, people to go to the house shows. They're trying to get live attendance up, uh, which I like, but um, I don't like the titles being switched around. You know, NXT, NXT I almost felt like for a while was not dissimilar from the Ring of Honor world title, where it had a little more prestige, and the idea that Samoa Joe is about to already be a three-time NXT champion, it starts to drift towards... Yeah, what the WWE championship is. So I, I would prefer that they don't switch around the title as much. And that goes for the Women's Championship, too, on Raw. Um, and I'll talk about that in moments. But, you know, I'm a, like I said, after TakeOver, I, I can watch Samoa Joe and Nakamura go at it forever. I just don't want to see the title get switched back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. Like, I, 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 I like the idea of Nakamura really having to have a quest for the title more than like, because even if he loses it again and has to have a quest, it's like, okay, now he's on a quest for his third title. It's one thing to be like, I had the NXT championship. I lost it. Now I'm fighting for it. Like, I'll, I'll buy that. But it gets easier to, it gets, it, it gets more difficult to sell me on when you're like, I had the NXT title, then I lost it, but I got it back, but now I lost it again. So now I'm in the fight of my life to get it back for the third time. Well, I mean, you know, you kind of had two shots at it. I start to lose sympathy at that point. You, you've had it twice. If you can't hold on to it, then maybe maybe you need different goals.
2: <laughs>
1: like, that, that's the way life works, I think. But, um, but yeah, you know, I'm sure the match was great. I didn't obviously get to see it because I wasn't in Japan. But I would encourage you to go to NXT live shows. Speaking of live shows, too, I, 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 I'm bummed I didn't get to go to Ring of Honor Final Battle. Uh, because I had other things to do on Friday. But I watched the pay per view and it was a great show. I mean, Ring of Honor puts on really good pay-per-views. Uh, I think it's very cool that Steve Carino is going to, I think, uh, he's supposedly headed towards the Performance Center as a trainer. That's the internet gossip that I read, so I, and I think that that's a, a great move. I've, I'm a huge Steve Carino fan from back in the king of old school ECW days, and I think he'll have a lot to contribute there, not just in the ring, But, he's a guy, Steve Carino is a guy, for those of you that didn't watch ECW, Steve Carino is a guy that when the ECW originals started to leave, when when the Ravens and the Sabus and the Sandmans of the world, and the Tazs of the world, started to leave for, for greener pastures as it were, Steve Carino is one of the guys. That kept that, It was that next generation that kept interest in the product. And it was guys like Steve Carino and Justin Credible and Lance Storm and Rhino. Like all those guys were so important to the history of ECW because it was guys like that along with Tommy Dreamer that, and Rob Van Dam that kept that company alive. And when I mean alive, I mean they didn't miss a beat. They were able to, to lose their top guys and keep going because of what Steve Carino and Justin Credible and all those guys were doing. Um, and his promos were so on point. He was he was the one of the more entertaining guys in that company. And he doesn't really get talked about. And I think one of the reasons he doesn't get talked about is because his run came after the Sandmans and the Ravens and the Sabus of the world. And I... I, I you know, I, I think that that's a little unfair. I think that that's an era that definitely needs to get talked about in terms of ECW because most companies would have crumbled. Most companies would have crumbled after losing their top guys. It's like in WWE, if you lost, well, yeah, you know, Bret Hart and Shawn Michaels get a lot of credit and deserve a lot of credit for being able to keep the company afloat after the steroid scandal, after Hulk Hogan, Warrior, Macho, all those guys left, after the big WCW raid. Even after they lost uh, um, Diesel and Razor and 123Kid, it was it was Sean and Brett that were the pillars of that company, and I feel like Steve Carino is one, is, is a Sean and Brett type of guy for ECW. So I think he's going to be a great thing. Uh, what I think was so interesting about Ring of Honor Final Battle was the appearance of Broken Matt Hardy. Broken Matt showed up on the big screen at the end of the show to challenge or, or to, 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 to do whatever, to start a, a program, as it were, with the Young Bucks. And Ring of Honor is like, Lord, it's been cool, right? Ring of Honor is like the cool promotion. Ring of Honor is is the future, it's next, it's like, and, and they're doing it again. There's already rumors of WWE rating Ring of Honor again in a couple, early next year. And I wouldn't be surprised because there's a lot of talent there. Uh, and and I think that Ring of Honor is going to be able to keep rebuilding and that's going to be the reputation of Ring of Honor. They're just uh, a, a place that is able to cultivate the best in independent wrestling and put on the best shows and prepare people to be future champions. I'm a big proponent of ring of honor but the fact that broken matt hardy showed up a tna creation and he didn't get booed out of the hammerstein ballroom in fact quite the opposite he got a huge ovation just him being on the video screen he wasn't even in the building just him being on the video screen got a huge ovation it really tells you that tna has the potential To create cool stuff in wrestling. TNA has the potential to create stuff that cool wrestling fans, the internet wrestling fans, that independent wrestling fans will pay attention to, that the internet will pay attention to, that the world of pro wrestling and sports entertainment will pay attention to. But it doesn't happen. You know? Like, if a WC, Like when Jerry Lawler showed up in the ECW arena, nobody cheered. They booed because the enemy was in the ECW arena. But people in the Hammerstein Ballroom that were there to see Ring of Honor were happy that this TNA creation was there. Why? Because it's one of the most original things that's happened in wrestling in quite some time. If I'm TNA, I should be watching that going, okay, that's what we need. Our creation is getting that kind of reaction at a Ring of Honor show in New York City. Arguably the pickiest wrestling fans there are. And by the way, whatever city is the pickiest wrestling fans, Broken Matt Hardy has gone over to London and succeeded. Broken Matt Hardy has done everything. Like Broken Matt Hardy is probably the most successful non-WWE character that's in wrestling today. And the fact that that is on TNA TV and TNA has not been able to capitalize off that enough to make it so that people are interested in the company is sinful. It's sinful. The fact that you look at that and you're excited about Broken Matt, but you don't want to watch TNA. You get excited when you see that. And you go, oh, I can't wait to see what Broken Matt Hardy's going to do in Ring of Honor. And I could go to you and say, well, if you can't wait, why don't you just watch TNA? He's going to do something on that show. Yeah, I could wait. Well, what are you doing then, TNA? Like that really tells me that you've got work that you need to be doing. And it's not getting done. So I think that's important. And I think that that's that's something that, that they really need to work on and be honest with themselves. And I don't know what the answer is, you know. I went on that rant a few weeks ago or a month ago, whatever it was about the the rumors and fighting over control of TNA and how stupid I find the whole thing. But, you know, I don't know. Every now and then somebody asks me, why don't you talk about TNA more on the podcast? Very rarely, but every now and then. And that's why. That's why, in a nutshell. Because they can have the coolest thing in wrestling under contract to them and still not create a show that's considered cool. And I don't, you know, it's, I don't blame any of the talent at all. I think there's a lot of great talent. I think the whole uh, 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 Abyss faction, I love them. I love them. I love their look. I love the whole thing. But, you know, it's just not capitalizing on what you have, which is something that historically WWE has been so so good at. I found Raw this week to be fantastic. I found Raw to be a great show this week. By the way, before we move on from the pay-per-view, also, big congratulations to my fellow podcaster and fellow radio guy, uh, Peter Rosenberg. I thought Rosenberg, honestly, and I would, you know, I would criticize him if I felt it was honest, but it's not honest. I thought Peter Rosenberg did great on the pre-show. I thought he looked comfortable. I thought he looked like he belonged there. And I thought he brought something different to the show. I thought he brought a unique perspective that has an, and and made the show feel fresh, um, and I loved it, and and I think that's what that's something that the uh, WWE will benefit from is having a perspective like that on that show, uh, and I thought Rosenberg represented it really well. You know, I thought he, he he balanced his own opinion with the interest of the company, with the voice of the fan, all together pretty well and gave himself a little bit of credibility and reason for being there. So, and and trust me when I tell you, I've known Rosenberg for 10 years and he's the real deal. He it is it, it is you're absolutely seeing uh a guy's dream come true when you see Rosenberg on that pre-show. So, huge congratulations to Peter Rosenberg who's just absolutely crushing right now uh in terms of everything that he's doing. Um But let's get to Raw. Speaking of crushing, I thought Raw was really, really good. Um, I thought Raw was like uh, the best it's been in a long time. Raw's on a good streak right now. And I really like the soap opera angles of Monday Night Raw. I really like that they're bringing those vignettes back. They did that a little bit with the Sheamus and Cesaro in a bar and I'll tell you, I mean, you know, it's a little cheesy the way it's shot. It's a little like a movie kind of, but a B-movie. But regardless of all that, that bar scene two weeks ago, or last week or whatever, however it was, made it so that this week, when Sheamus and Cesaro showed up in the ring, they had a whole new energy about them. There was a different reason to watch them because that resonated. That resonated. And, and, and it brought back... This vibe, look, pro wrestling, sports entertainment is or was always supposed to be a male soap opera. And it seems like at some point the UFC got popular. So the emphasis on athletic competition was put back on pro wrestling because they wanted to compete with UFC. Pro wrestling is never going to out MMA UFC but pro wrestling sports entertainment will always be able to out sports entertainment UFC they will always be able to out soap opera UFC the storylines the reasons to care about these matches the 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 winners the losers like all that the storytelling in in sports entertainment in WWE will always be able to do better than that in UFC if you want to see competition and sports and athletics, then fine, UFC. But if you want to see athletic storytelling, then WWE is where it's at. And I now care about the idea of an Enzo-Rusev match. Enzo versus Rusev is like a throwaway match on Raw. But because of that hotel scene that happened this week on Raw, I'm interested in seeing that match. I think it's cool. I really like that. I love the Jericho-Owens storyline where we don't know if they are, are, are they or aren't they. Chris Jericho and Kevin Owens are like the Luke and Laura of WWE. Like, you know, that friendship means everything to us in the WWE universe as we watch it. Like, we care about whether or not these two bad guys are friends with each other. And that is where raw is really winning right now is in that sort of long-term soap opera storytelling so i i thought that that was such a great addition to monday night raw and it was great seeing the big show again i think that they probably brought him out so that it because he's gone on a uh handshake tour i guess with uh tribute to the troops so maybe it ups his profile a little bit but it's also like that's what they should use him for and i didn't like that like people were like oh you know, he turned like three times in that match because the Big Show is just the Big Show. He's a separate entity. Seth Rollins introduced him, but he didn't like high-five Seth Rollins and give, uh, and give I mean, high-five Kevin Owens and give Seth Rollins a dirty look. He came to the ring. He was smiling. He was giving the fans high-fives. He was a good guy from start to finish in that match. So it was no surprise when Kevin Owens hired a good guy and the good guy turned on him. Uh, I thought, but I, I thought Raw was a well-done show. Still a long show, but I thought it was a very well-done show. And the and the soap opera elements have been missed, and I think are being done very very well on Monday Night Raw. I want to thank Hillbilly Jim for being on the podcast this week. Don't forget, don't forget the holidays are coming up. You're gonna have some time to maybe sit back and watch a DVD, and I have to tell or a Blu-ray. You don't want to watch a DVD, that's outdated technology, but I have to tell you that Matt Damon uh, is returning to his iconic role in the movie Jason Bourne, and that movie is now available on 4K, Ultra HD, and Blu-ray. You can experience Jason Bourne in DTSX technology. For the most immersive lifelike audio experience available at home, join Matt Damon. For the next chapter in Universal Pictures' Bourne franchise, which finds the CIA's lethal former operative, not Jay Lethal, lethal former operative drawn out of the shadows, get it on 4K, Ultra HD, and Blu-ray with DTSX sound today. It's rated PG-13. And if you don't like DTSX, then I think you're S-A-W-F-T. Soft? All right, guys. I will see you next week. Don't forget to subscribe, like rate review check the youtube channel i just posted uh the interview with daniel bryan from last week that video is up at youtube.com slash not sam um as far as the rumors and my name popped up in uh some some of the uh, wrestling rumor websites over the last week or so uh, i don't have anything to tell you yet but keep checking my social media all right all right i will talk to you next week goodbye thanks for listening Follow at NotSam on
0: Twitter,
2: Instagram,
0: Facebook, and YouTube. And subscribe for free to listen every week to Sam Roberts' Wrestling Podcast.
3: Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance.